Thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. I want to open with a question this morning, or just to Matt, I want you to think back and kind of review your life a little bit. I want you to think back through the names and faces of some of the different leaders or bosses or managers that you've either worked for or served under as a volunteer over the course of your life. I want you to think back, you can think back to those first jobs that you had or some of the ways that you volunteered with our church or with an organization or something else. I want you to think back through some of the different leaders that you've had in your life, different bosses, different managers. Again, it could be someone you officially worked for, you're on their payroll, or somebody that maybe you just volunteered for, whatever it is, some of the leaders, bosses, managers that you had. And now I want you to think about some of the best leaders in that group. Who were some of the best leaders? And who were some of the worst leaders in that group? Because all of us have served some of the, we have the best and the worst, we have the, the rankings of some of those leaders in our mind of how it's gone And I want you to think specifically of what made those best leaders the best and what made those worst leaders the worst in your mind. I have a feeling different answers would come to mind for each of you of what marked the best leaders and what marked the worst leaders in your life. And this week on social media, I asked, just on Instagram, just I asked around for people to tell me what were the marks of some of the best leaders in their life and what were the marks of some of the worst leaders. And maybe some of these will resonate with you um, and some of the things that you've seen in the leaders around you. First, what were some of the marks of the best leaders? I'm just going to tell you some of the things that people said. They said things like seeing people's individual strengths and putting them in positions where they thrived. Or another person said empathy, humility, commitment, collaboration, transparency, accountability, and strong communication. They really got a lot in there uh, for that one. Um, Relationally available, bold, spirit-filled, calculated, yet willing to take risk. Another person said, willing to get in the mud with me. I'm not sure what that means. Um, (laughs) Wanting the best for me, regardless of what's best for the company. Clarity about direction and the capacity to communicate to the rest of us consistently. These are some of the things that people said when I just did kind of crowdsource some answers of what the best leaders in their life had done and been for them. Then I asked about the worst leaders, and I was a little nervous that our staff was going to use this as an opportunity <laughs> to passive-aggressively let me know about what their thoughts, but then I remember they do that to my face, so, um, <laughs> because, and I like it, and I appreciate it. They do that to my face and in annual reviews, so no surprises here, but this is what, they, what some people uh, around and some people in my life mentioned as the worst leaders, things like this, empty promises and lack of availability. Selfish, manipulative, lying, lazy, pitting people against each other to get results. No follow-through, pride, fixed mindset, controlling, accusatory, unapproachable. Felt threatened by any ambition in employees, saw questioning as insubordination. Contaminating how they treat employees with their own stressors, passing stress on to others as a red flag. And then this one was my favorite, calling me Jamie for two and a half years when that is clearly not my name. (laughs) That was from my friend Jeremy, uh, who said that one. Uh, some of you are leaders right now. You know, you're leaders at home, at work, in the community. Some of you serve on boards, uh, different organizations. You serve at a variety of different levels. Some of you are at the top position, and maybe you own a business, or you, you work in administration, or you're really at the, some of the highest level. Some of you are mid-level, but you're still leading other people around you. Some of you are leading volunteers, you're leading others. But I have a feeling that if the people that you lead were to look back over their lives someday, I have a feeling you would want, the Spirit doesn't have to tell me this, I have a feeling you'd want to be grouped among the best leaders that somebody had. Nobody wants to be grouped among the worst. 
Nobody wants their leadership to be remembered as some of the worst leaders that somebody had. You want to be remembered as one of the best, as one of the leaders that lifted them up and that they were proud to work under or volunteer for. And so if that's you, if you're either in a position of leadership or you hope to lead someday, um, which is a lot of people in this room, I want to talk today about what the best leaders are marked by. Because Jesus tells us today, he makes it very simple. If Jesus were to be asked this question, what marks the best leaders? He really has one thing that sets the best leaders apart. It's not that nothing else matters. It's not that other practical skills don't matter. But there's one thing for Jesus that he says, if you're missing this one quality in your leadership, you will be grouped among the worst leaders. But he's saying, if you have this quality, you have the potential to be grouped among the best. And so we're going to make it simple today as we're going to talk about what does it look like, according to Jesus, what does the best leadership look like? And so we are in season nine, episode eight of our multi-season series, This is Jesus. In this episode, we're just going to be looking at what Jesus said about leadership. This is one of the rare times where Jesus just speaks directly about leadership. And he doesn't do this a lot. Like, there's a lot of things he covers, a lot of topics. He talks about all kinds of things. But this is one of the times he talks about leadership. And it's an important kind of transition in his life and ministry. If you remember, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, we, Jesus is having his last meal with his followers. And after this, many of his followers are going to become leaders. You're going to see that in the following book of Acts. He's about to transition leadership. And so he's talking to them, and he's having a conversation with them around the topic of leadership. And he's going to correct a little bit of their vision of what it looks like. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 22, 24 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, all the text is going to be up on the screen as well. Um, in the few Bibles on page 936, you can open it up on your phone. Luke chapter 22, 24 through 30, we're in the middle of Jesus' last supper with his disciples, with his students, and this is one of the conversations that unfolds around leadership. Listen to how this episode opens. It says, Then a dispute or an argument arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. It's not surprising that a dispute has arisen among the students of Jesus. Like, these guys are always fighting about something. They're a very different group of people. They come from lots of different backgrounds. They are constantly disputing and arguing about all kinds of things. And so it doesn't surprise us here that they are yet uh, arguing again about something in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And they're arguing in particular about who's going to be considered the best, the greatest, the most important, the most honored leader. Next to Jesus, of course, but who's going to be the next best after Jesus? They know Jesus is the best, but who's going to be the next best? And this is not the first time they've had this argument. They actually had the same argument back in Luke chapter 9. They've been arguing about this since Luke 9. Um, having this argument. It's just like a theme argument. You just got to imagine it just comes back up around campfires or while they're walking around the path. And now it's at Jesus's last meal, right? They are arguing at the Passover meal. Again, who's going to be the best, the most important, the most honored, the greatest leader next to Jesus, of course. And so you got to imagine that at this point, they're still imagining that Jesus is here to lead some kind of political earthly kingdom. You have to imagine that they're in, they're in Jerusalem. They're thinking, okay, right, Jesus is going to lead some kind of earthly political kingdom. We want to be right there with him, leading right alongside of him. And so this dispute now has broken out about who's going to be the most important next to Jesus, who's going to be the best. And I can imagine some of the arguments that they might be making as they're doing this. I can imagine Peter saying, look, I was the first to follow him. We all know this. We all know this. Um, I'm also, he gave me a nickname. He called me The Rock. Uh, you might remember, I'm a big deal, um, and I own a boat. So uh, nonetheless, it's obviously going to be me. I'm the greatest. You think James and John, they're like, 
You remember how Jesus, he gave us a nickname. He called us the sons of thunder. I don't need to give you reasons. This is reason number one and two, why we're going to be, why we're going to be the greatest, right? And so you can imagine that they're ready to do a fist fight. And you know, you know, there were some fist fights among the disciples. Like it didn't make it into Luke's gospel, but you know, these guys got rowdy uh, when they were hangry. Um, and our Levi, right? You know, he's like, look, I left a pretty lucrative tax collecting career for this. And I threw Jesus a legendary party. Um, and all the worst sinners were there. It was wild. Um, and the Pharisees were even hating on it. It's definitely going to be me. You can imagine Judas kind of side-eyeing the whole situation, just whispering to himself, it's like, it's going to be me. They don't know why yet, but it's going to be me. I'm going to be the greatest. And then Bartholomew's about to speak up, and everybody's like, whoa, we forgot you were here. Because... <laughs> uh, we haven't heard from you ever in this entire gospel since you got the name among the 12. And so you've got to imagine it's about to erupt into a bigger debate and dispute. And they're arguing about who's the most important, who's the best, who's the greatest, who's the most honored among of us that's going to be next to Jesus. And Jesus speaks into this. He catches wind of it. And instead of just letting it, maybe he lets it go for a while. And now he speaks. And they pay attention. And he opens up a conversation about the mark of the best and the greatest leaders and the mark of the worst leaders. And he's setting up a contrast between these two. Like, you know, I listen to leadership podcasts sometimes from all kinds of different leaders. And I got to imagine if Jesus were to get on a leadership podcast, this is the one thing he'd have to say. This is the one thing he would talk about is what you're going to get right here. And so listen to what he says in his contrast marks the worst leaders. It says this, but he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, for those of you who aren't familiar with that word, it's just a word that refers to all the non-Jews. His followers are Jews at this time, and the kings of the Gentiles, so the, in other words, the political rulers of the nations. Um, he says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have, themselves, have called themselves benefactors. Luke chapter 22, verse 25. Jesus is living in the Roman Empire at the time. He's familiar with leadership, right? He's seen local leaders he had one local leader try to get him killed at one point when he was a baby. You know, these are, he's seen leaders locally. He's seen empire-wide rulers. He's seen the worst and the best of all the leaders around them. He's had his share of, the, uh, of, his, of interactions with the kings of the Gentiles as well as religious leadership. And in this, he begins to describe two things about them that are marks of the worst leaders. Maybe you can see these in your own leadership or in some of the worst leaders in your life. The first thing he says is that they're self-serving. He says they, they lord their authority over people. They're self-serving, which means that they use their positional authority, their status as king or leader or boss or manager or whatever, to get what they want through things like intimidation and threats and fear and domineering and abuse and whatever it takes. There's this sense that I'm in charge so don't cross me or I'm going to get your whole family's heads cut off. Like, that's really what the idea here is about. It's like this idea of lording authority over someone, taking lord and taking it from a noun and turning it into a verb. They are domineering in their authority. Jesus had experience with this, both in his infancy but also in his life. He saw Herod, one of the local rulers, already use his authority to get John the Baptist arrested because he didn't like what John the Baptist was saying about his marriage. And so he got him arrested and eventually got his head cut off. That's lording your authority over over people. Most of you don't have bosses who have cut people's heads off, but 
um, you've probably had leaders who are constantly threatening to fire people who disagree with him or her, or making it feel that way, who erupt on people in meetings, and people just have to accept what they say because they're the boss, or who see most things as below them, and they're not willing to do a lot of the things that everybody else has to do. And so you've probably been around these leaders who lord their authority over you, who use their positional authority as a way to get what they want, ultimately in a self-serving way even if it doesn't serve the organization or the business. The second thing about them, though, is that they're self-congratulatory. They have themselves called benefactors. Notice it doesn't say people willingly call them benefactors. It says they have themselves. They use their authority to make sure people congratulate them on how great they are, um, throw parties in their favor. It says they're using their authority to get, not just get what they want through intimidation and fear. They're also celebrating themselves and all that they do for people in the process, calling themselves benefactors. They're saying, yes, I cut people's heads off, but I'm a great guy. I'm doing it for their good. Like, and if they would just recognize that. In fact, why don't you guys call me benefactor because I'm a good person, and if it weren't for me, this thing wouldn't go anywhere. And so why don't we celebrate how great I am? This is a person who's constantly celebrate what they bring to this. This is pretty normal in the first century. One of the leaders around Jesus during his early life was Augustus. And he wrote, Augustus wrote his own memoir called The Achievements of the Divine Augustus. Um, and I don't know what your title of your memoir is going to be, but that was the title of his, The Achievements of the Divine Augustus. And in it, he lists out 35 areas of accomplishment. And people loved, it for, loved him for it. They're like, this is awesome. Here's accomplishment number 22. I'm just going to give you an example. It says this in the, the memoir, the, divine, or the Achievements of Divine Augustus. It says, I gave three gladiatorial uh, games in my own name and five in that of my grandsons. At these games, some 10,000 men took part in combat, twice in my own name and a third time in that of my grandson. I presented the people's displays of athletes summoned from all parts. This is his own self-congratulatory way. And this is what you saw in leaders, especially in the first century. But it, it goes into our modern era as well. You see it in the kind of narcissistic leader who takes responsibility for all of the success in a company or organization. But for some reason, all of the failures are somebody else's fault. Constantly pointing to other people, getting other people fired for their mistakes. Everything they do is just resume building for either a higher promotion or their next job, and they take every opportunity they can to be in the spotlight. This kind of self-congratulatory tendency. I shared last week, me and Julie have been watching through The Office right now, and Michael Scott has a quote that I think really speaks to this uh, in a lot of ways. And it's one of my favorite quotes from The Office, but he says, Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> um, I will not be surprised if I see that plastered on the office back in, in our church. Uh, and then he's also always having, you know, like world's best boss mug that he gave for himself. Uh, and you might be thinking, like, of course these are the worst leaders. Like, you didn't have, Jesus didn't have to tell me this. Like, we all know what the worst leaders are. We know this. But in the first century, what Jesus just described as the worst leadership would have actually made any book on the best leadership. In the first century, what Jesus just said about the worst leaders, everybody would have said, actually, that's the best leaders. You just described what the best leaders do. These are the leaders who really get things done. Any Harvard Business Review article in the first century or a leadership book in the New York Times about the best leadership would have included these kind of things among the best as what it looks like to be a leader. Maybe his students are looking at him and saying, Jesus, we think you're confused. Like, you've had a lot of wine maybe at this point in the Passover meal, and maybe you're forgetting what the best leaders are actually like, because you just described the best leaders we've ever heard of. And Jesus paints this picture, though, and says, these are the worst leaders. And then Jesus goes on to describe the best leaders. 
It doesn't go on for paragraphs and paragraphs. It doesn't say, give, let me give you my top 10 attributes of every best leader. He just gives us one main idea of what the best leaders are like and what they're supposed to be. And so if you want to be one of the best, one of the way, if you want to be a great leader, that people remember you for that, pay attention to what Jesus says next. He says this. He said, it is not to be like that among you. Again, saying all what, everything I just said, don't let that describe your leadership. He says, on the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. Luke chapter 22, verse 26. Before we talk about what he means, one of the things I want to say here is that Jesus is not anti-leadership. Sometimes Jesus can become this like patron saint of like anti-leadership people. It's like we don't want leaders, like forget leaders, leadership and authority is bad. But Jesus isn't against leadership and authority. He isn't for a flattening of every hierarchy. He isn't for a flattening of every org chart and some kind of leader, leadership in which there are no leaders. Leadership just is. It's a reality of how the world works. But what Jesus is interested in, he's saying, look, leaders exist. But if you're going to be leaders, and he's looking at them, we'll talk about in a minute how all, all of them will become leaders. He's looking at all these potential leaders, and he's saying, if you're going to be a leader, what he's interested in, though, is the kind of character that you embody as leaders. And listen to what he says to describe the kind of leaders that he's looking for. He says, look, I'm looking for people who become like the youngest. Like the youngest. Jesus is speaking into a, first, or into a culture where firstborns are everything, where the eldest child is the one with the privileges, the blessings, the favor, the birthright. All of the, the fame comes to firstborns. They receive all of the benefits of the family that then get associated with their position as the oldest in their family. But Jesus is saying, I want you to become like the youngest. What he's saying is, I want you to take all of that privilege that comes with your status. I want you to take all the benefits that come with your status. And I want you to use them, not just for yourself. Use them for the sake of everybody around you. And he goes on to say this, and whoever leads, like the one serving. Another illustration, not just like the youngest, but like the one serving. So he takes like a family metaphor of eldest and youngest, and now he makes it more of like a meal metaphor of, or a house metaphor of people who are sitting at the table and people who are serving. And he says, instead of using your position to get other people to serve you, he says, I want you to reimagine leadership as a way to serve other people, to raise them up, to elevate those around you. Taken together, listen, there's just really one word that comes to describe the best leaders above everything else. The one quality that if you're missing it, it'll be very difficult for you to be remembered among the best leaders that people ever had. According to Jesus, the main thing he's looking for in leadership is this. Humility is the mark of the best leaders. If you forget everything else I say today, everything else Jesus says about leadership, remember this. According to Jesus, humility is the mark of the best leaders. Not just your ability to cast vision, I'm sure Jesus would be for that, or the metrics that you achieve, or your ability to balance a budget. We all know Jesus could balance a budget. Or your commitment to excellence. According to Jesus, the one thing that sets apart the best leaders from the worst leaders above everything else is their humility. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about what humility is and what it means. A lot of people have different ideas about what humility means, and I think it's important that we get on the same page. And one of the most helpful definitions I've heard comes from John Dixon. He wrote a book called Humilitas on the history of humility, right, where how do we come to value this in Western culture, and here's how he defines it. He says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, 
or use your influence, in other words, anything associated with your leadership, to use those things for the good of others before yourself. More simply, you could say the humble person, this is a short definition, is marked by a willingness to hold power in service of others. So if humility is the mark of the best leaders, what's humility? It's a willingness to hold power in service of others. It's precisely the opposite of what Jesus just described as the worst leaders. The worst leaders, he just said, are using their resources, their influence, their status to elevate themselves, to get people to serve them. But he's saying, use what you have access to as a leader. Use your status, use your privilege, use whatever your benefits, whatever you have access to as a leader, not to serve you, but to serve those around you. Serve those who serve you. Serve the customers that your organization or company serves. Whatever it is, serve those around you. Deploy everything that you have, everything that you've been given, all of those power and resources in the service of other people. And when Jesus was saying this, at the time, it would have sounded like the worst leadership advice he could have ever given. He would not have been invited back onto any first century leadership podcast because what he just said goes against the grain of everything people were saying about leadership. Everybody would have heard what Jesus said and, be, and, Jesus, and say, Jesus, that's weak leadership. Jesus, that's not what leaders do. They worked hard to get to their spot. Now they get to have everybody serve them. And Jesus is saying, no, It's the complete opposite, that leadership is an opportunity to serve those around you. And here's what's crazy, is that when Jesus said that around a dinner table in the first century in an upper room that only a few people were a part of, since that moment, humility has grown as something that people now, even in Western culture, continue to value in their leaders. I have a feeling that if you were described the best leader, some of you are in here this morning, you wouldn't call yourself Christians, you're just exploring faith, but I have a feeling that if you were described some of the best leaders around you, you'd probably use the word humility at some point. Many of you, even as Christians, would use the word humility at some point. And humility has come to be one of the most valued things as a quality or attribute in leaders. Don't just take my word for that. Um, Jim Collins wrote a classic leadership book called Good to Great. And it's, um, it's a classic at this point. He did a five-year study on great companies, one of which was Circuit City, which always makes me laugh because it no longer exists. You can still see all the former Circuit Cities around, um, by the way, the storefronts look. But nonetheless, he, in it, he writes about what he calls level five leaders. And he writes about, here's what I saw about the best leaders, the greatest leaders, which is what Jesus is describing here. Listen to what this leadership book now says. He says, We were surprised, shocked really, to discover the type of leadership required for turning a good company into a great one. Compared to high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, we can all imagine those kinds of people. The good to great leaders are the paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. In other words, yeah, they get things done. Of course leaders get things done. They know how to move the mission forward. They know how to make a project, all that. But he says... They're the paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. The reason we value that today is because of the influence of Jesus at this table, sharing with his disciples what it looks like to be a great leader. And so with that, let's talk about this a little bit more. So according to Jesus, in contrast to the self-surfing, self-congratulatory leadership of his own time, and often ours, ours as well, that marks this worst leadership. Humility is the mark of the best leaders. It's a revolutionary idea at the time. We're going to talk more about how you can become one of those kinds of leaders. But first, let's look at how Jesus modeled this for his followers. 
So he describes humility as marking the best leaders. And then what does he say? He says, he asks them a question, and he references something here, many scholars think, many commentators think, that Luke doesn't actually record, but that the Gospel of John records. Listen to what he says. He says, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves, Luke chapter 22, verse 27. Jesus knows that this is the opposite of how most people think. He says, in most circumstances, look, of course you would assume that the people who are sitting at the table, you remember Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper meal that we looked at last week, all 13 guys are sitting at the same side of the table, like normal people, and uh, they're sitting at the, one, you know, the table, and they're saying, look, we're at the table, that means we're, we're important. You know, that's normally how you think, and everybody who's at serving the table is less important. But he's actually saying the opposite is true. He says, Jesus flips this, and he says, you guys seem to think, look, that I'm a leader worth following. You guys have followed me through thick and thin. He's going to say in a minute, you've followed me through trials. You've been with me through it all. You have left jobs, all kinds of things to follow what I'm, what I'm inviting you into. You have followed me as your leader, but when you look at my leadership, what has been the mark of my leadership? I've been among you as one who serves. Jesus was a leader. He had authority. He had power. Nobody can joke around and pretend Jesus wasn't a leader, but how was Jesus a leader? He was among them as one who served. Luke doesn't include a a super critical episode of when Jesus did this, but it feels like Jesus is referencing something else that happened at this table that Luke didn't include for whatever reason in the story that he's telling. But the Gospel of John, when it's recording the same scene in John chapter 13, it opens up, it says it's Passover meal, they're having the last meal, all the Last Supper stuff, And then listen to what it says at the beginning of the meal. We didn't get this in Luke's gospel. We get this in John's. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. This was, in the first century world, the equivalent of getting your feet washed, or, in, or sorry, the equivalent of taking your shoes off in our, and going to someone's house in our world was the equivalent of getting your feet washed in that one. And there was always a servant at who was going to wash your feet. And Jesus notices, I guess, that there's no servant there. And so what does he do? Instead of saying, hey, Bartholomew, you haven't done much in this gospel. Why don't you go sit down and serve everybody? He, he takes off his outer garments. He takes up a towel, and he begins to wash their disgusting, gross first century feet. He serves them. And so he says in this scene, I'm among you as one who serves, because they have just visually seen Jesus do this before this meal. He showed them what it looks like to have a willingness to hold power in service of others. Notice this text. It says, everything was in his hands. That's a statement of status and privilege and power and benefits. He has it all. And he doesn't in that moment say, now everybody serve me. What does he say? He says, let me serve you. In fact, Peter at one point says, whoa, 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 you shouldn't be doing this. And he says, I have to do this. I have to do this. And then he goes on to say, look, just what I've done for you, now do for other people. Jesus gives them a visual of this. And sometimes people think, again, I want to point out here, sometimes people think that power is the problem. And again, Jesus isn't anti-authority. He's not anti-leadership. He has all power here. That's why I love what Andy Crouch has written, describing scenes like this. He says, power is not the opposite of servanthood. He says, rather, servanthood, which is ensuring the flourishing of others, is the very purpose of power. What's the purpose of power? It's servanthood. 
It's humbling yourself. It's using that power for the sake of others. And so Jesus gives them this visual that they're never going to forget. This is what I want you to see here, is that Jesus is the model of leadership at its best. Jesus is the model of leadership at its best. We forget that Jesus was an incredible leader who started a movement that's still going strong today. It's a feat that nobody can boast. Like, this is, there's no bigger movement than Christianity that he started in that country, Israel, in the first century that's now become the most global movement ever in the history of the world. And what ends up happening is that if you're ever wondering what the best leadership looks like, the New Testament writers keep pointing back to what Jesus says here. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. And what does he say? What does that look like? He says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to explain what Christ Jesus did. He says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This text reminds us that Jesus is the model of the best kind of leadership. Leadership at its best, which is not leadership that's self-serving and self-congratulatory, that uses authority and status and privilege for yourself, but rather uses it for the sake of other people. It's humble and serves those around you. But what you have to also see in this text is what he's describing here is not just an example for us to follow. He's reminding us that Jesus has done this for us. Some of you in here have been people that you've been in positions of leadership and you know that you've had moments where you have not been the most servant leader. You know that you've had moments that you carry with you where you're like, man, I could have served people better in that moment. I have those moments that I carry with me on just each week. And it can be easy to think to yourself, man, I'm, I, I'm the worst. Like, there's nothing I could do. But the gospel here is actually the good news is that God loves you and accepts you, not because you're a perfect servant leader. God loves you and accepts you because Jesus was the servant leader for us who got down and washed our feet, washed away our sins, bringing us into a kingdom where it's safe for us to learn how to serve other people at whatever leadership you're at. When we follow the model of leadership that Jesus gives here, we're actually giving the people who follow us, whether it's in the workplace, the home, the community, at church, we're giving people a picture of the gospel. The way that you could put this is how you lead reveals who you follow. How you lead reveals who you follow. I remember at my university that I went to, Lincoln Christian University, they're all about developing leaders. I was like, you know, this every Christian college's big thing. It's like, we're developing leaders. But at the front of their chapel, I always remember there's a statue of Jesus bending down and washing Peter's feet. And it's a reminder of what leadership looks like. When you are leading at your best, you're appointing people to Jesus who did it even better. You're pointing people to the one who served us, humbled himself, and now brought us into a kingdom where it's safe to serve others. And so according to Jesus, humility is the mark of the best leaders, and Jesus is the model of what that looks like. And even if you're someone in this room who's still exploring who Jesus is, one thing to realize is that whether you like it or not, even in the modern world, the reason that we value humility in our leaders is because of Jesus. Again, going back to John Dixon, who wrote a historical study of humility, this is what he concludes. He says this, my point is not that Christians alone can be humble. Rather, as a plain historical statement, humility came to be valued in Western culture as a consequence 
of Christianity's dismantling of the all-pervasive honor-shame paradigm of the ancient world. Today, it doesn't matter what your religious views are. Christian, atheist, Jedi Knight, if you were raised in the West, you are likely to think that honor-seeking is morally questionable and lowering yourself for the good of others is ethically beautiful. That is the influence of a story whose impact can be felt regardless of whether its details are believed. A story about greatness that willingly went to a cross. We did not figure out as a culture that we want humble leaders on our own. Jesus opened the door to show us that that's actually what we're longing for. And so with that in mind, how do we become? What is, how does God make those kind of leaders? And I, one thing I want to remind everybody of is you might not see yourself as a leader. Maybe you think that leaders are born, right? You're like, everybody, some people are just born with it, some people aren't. Everything I've ever read about leadership is this, that leaders aren't born, they're made. And it's who's willing to be made into a certain kind of leader. And so even if you aren't leading now, the question is, how do we become this? I want to go to the end of this conversation just really quickly before we talk about that. Before he moves on, Jesus says this to his core followers. He says, you are those who stood by me in my trials. And he goes on, I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And I don't want to get into the details precisely. Some of you are like, that's exactly what I wanted you to talk about today. Is exactly what he's saying there. We're not going to get into the details of that now. He's saying something that's particular for these 12 followers that are around him. But he's essentially saying this, and this is where I think it applies to all of us. He's saying, look, I'm going to give you leadership opportunities. I'm going to give you responsibility. But what I don't want to happen is for you to get to that, and you have not become the kind of person who can handle it. The worst thing in the world that happens is people are given leadership opportunities before they have the character to handle it. And so often that's where we get leaders who crush people. What what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm going to give you leadership opportunities. But focus right now on becoming worthy of that level of leadership by beginning to embody what I just talked about. Be among us as one who serves. And that's the same for this room. Some of you are already leading. Others of you are going to be given leadership opportunities over your life. Some of you who are leading are going to be given greater leadership opportunities. But leadership opportunities just reveal the kind of person that you've become. So what I want to do is I want to give you four quick practices as we close. Four simple practices you can do to become the kind of person who, if you're ever in a position of leadership, you will most likely become somebody who models humility. These are things that anybody can do, no matter what level of leadership you're at. Maybe you just started serving at our church, or you just started in a new company, or you're an employee and you don't oversee anybody. No matter where you are, these are things that you can do, that you can begin to practice and work the muscles of humility in your life. The first thing is this, is that humble leaders take up the towel. Humble leaders take up the towel. We talk about this a lot in our church, is that humble leaders take up the towel. And what that means for us is that you look for opportunities to serve others. We say when we give people a new shirt at our church and they join the team, we say, this is your towel. This is reminding you that you have, you have taken up the towel just like Jesus, and you are serving wherever is needed. Nothing is below you when it comes to serving. It doesn't mean we don't value specific gifting in our church. What we want to do in our church, we always want to move people toward their sweet spot where they can really excel and serve at a greater capacity. But what it means is that whenever we're starting, what we're always doing is we're just saying, where, is, where, where, where can I serve? What's, what's needed right now? How can I step in? That's what Jesus did. Right? Obviously, his specific gifting was not washing people's feet, but he saw an opportunity, and he took it because nobody was doing it. I love seeing this yesterday. Our Alpha team gathered for the Alpha course. We had a day away in the middle of the Alpha course um, at a retreat center nearby where we just talked about the Holy Spirit all day. And at the end, everybody's tired. Everybody's worn out. It's been a beautiful day. Everybody's ready to go home. But what I loved is seeing people from that team just serve and clean up to make sure we got our deposit back, you know? Um, <laughs> 
But I love seeing the way that people just uh, cleaned up after themselves. I love seeing Jess Obrey out yesterday, who's on our Alpha team, just do the worst job, which is cleaning up the bathroom trashes and making sure that we take those out. She doesn't have to do that. That's not in her description as an Alpha helper, but she did that. She saw what was needed, and she did what needed to be done. She took up the towel. Another thing that humble leaders do is they always are seeking out feedback. Humble leaders know that they aren't at their best yet, and they have lots of room to grow and improve. Uh, not humble leaders think that they have no room for growth. And so humble leaders are saying, I have room to grow, and I need other people to help me grow. I need people to have eyes on me that I don't have on myself, because sometimes you can't see yourself well. That's why in our church we do annual reviews of our, of our leaders and our staff to help get eyes on everybody so that we can all grow and get feedback. But humble leaders need feedback. The worst leaders think they already have everything figured out. But and they don't have any room to grow. But the best leaders are constantly inviting people to help them grow. And saying, help me grow. Speak into my life. You've been serving alongside of me. Help me see where I can serve better. Or talking to their leaders or talking to their bosses or their managers saying, what could I do to help out around here a little bit more? What are some things that I do that are annoying that would make me less annoying to you? How can I help serve you better? Or even, let's say you're a boss of somebody. Let's say you manage some people at work. I'll tell you one of the best questions you can ask your employees if you're humble enough to do it is saying, what do I do that annoys you? What do I do that gets in your way of getting your job done? And asking them that question and being open to what they say so that you can serve them better as their leader. Another thing is humble leaders point the spotlight. And I specifically said point, not just share. Right? They point the spotlight. They're not just the people. Yeah, sometimes the spotlight gets on them. It doesn't mean that they're like avoiding it all the time. Like you can get complimented. It's not the end of the world. Just say thank you. I appreciate it. Not like all glory to God, you know, like every time like a Jesus juke. But just let it be. Just take it. But what leaders at their best are doing is they're pointing the spotlight. They're using their power and authority and status to show, and I'm pointing at spotlight, that's what I'm doing. You're, you're showing people, all these other people that are behind the scenes that people are missing that are helping move things forward. And so you're taking every opportunity you can to get, do what we call good gossip. Do, everybody knows what bad gossip is, is when everybody's talking about how bad you are to everybody else. Good gossip is when you're talking about how much you love another person, how great they are at their job to somebody else. Be somebody in wherever you are, wherever you work, who's spreading good gossip who's constantly highlighting and spotlighting people who are good. In uh, the book Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about this level five leaders. He says, level five leaders look out the window to apportion credit to factors outside themselves when things go well. And if they can't find a specific person or event to give credit to, they just credit good luck. And at the same time, they look in the mirror to apportion responsibility, never blaming bad luck when things go poorly. They take it for themselves. And so be somebody who shines a spotlight on people as often as you can. And the fourth thing that you can do is that as you give, get power, which power isn't a bad thing, ask how can you give it away. Humble leaders give power away. When you do get power, instead of keeping it all to yourself, find ways that you can have conversations with people around you and call out their potential and say, can I give you some power? Can I give you some power to continue to move toward your potential and help them, empower them to do things well? Don't just tell other people what to do. Raise people up, equip them, take time to pour into them so that they can become the kind of people who do things even better than you do it at your job. At our church, we have some different leadership competencies that we always look for in our volunteers and leaders, and one of them is humility. And when we're looking to fill different leadership opportunities, one of the things we're on the lookout for is for people who embody the kind of humility that Jesus describes here. And our current leader knows that this is one of the things that we're just always on the lookout for people. We're always asking who around you is embodying this kind of humility that we just described. Um, Ben Podlesnik is going to hate me forever for this, but I'm going to point him out. I warned him today. Uh, I think he's somewhere else in the building uh, helping with security. But last week, I just want to call him out as somebody who embodies this. 
Uh, last week we had baptisms, and you might not realize this, but there's a lot that goes into setting that up. And uh, Ben came on Saturday night, and he hauled that horse trough in here from the outside, I'm pretty sure by himself, got it in here, um, set up tarps, filled it up most of the way, came early on Sunday morning to fill it up with hot water so that it could be at least lukewarm, uh, drained it, sucked up all the remaining water, drained that, dried off the tarps, folded them, put them away, all without any fanfare. Why? Because he saw an opportunity as a member of his team on the property team and as a part of that to serve, and he took it regardless of who notices. I just want to highlight that. That's the kind of humility that we love to see. I want a church that is full of people who are like that. And I know that there are so many other people that I could have just called out right now if I were to ask all the different leaders around. But what if we became the kind of church that is constantly developing and releasing the best leaders into this city? Leaders who are marked by the kind of humility we see modeled in the life of Jesus. What if some of the best community, workplace, and church leaders came out of this church? Some of you are already leading. I just want to invite you to just continue to invite the Spirit of Jesus to turn you into the kind of humble person. It takes a transformation of our hearts. We aren't naturally like this. Invite him into you to help you become that kind of leader. And those of you who aren't leaders yet, leadership opportunities will come for you. My prayer for you is that you begin to fill yourself with that kind of humility now so that when they do come, you can carry it into your leadership and continue to grow in the kind of humility that Jesus says marks the best and greatest leaders that he can think of. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for the leaders in this room and the potential leaders in this room. Make us a church full of leaders who are marked by humility wherever we are. Lord, I pray for those who are leading in workplaces right now, maybe feel inadequate, don't know how to do their jobs, or just feel like they don't know where to start. Or maybe they felt convicted by today's sermon. Lord, I pray that you speak to them through your spirit now. Fill them with humility. I pray for those who just feel like they're far away from leadership, like they don't know if they'll ever get a chance to lead and have responsibility. I pray that even now they begin to work the muscles of humility so when that day comes, they're ready for it. Make us humble like your son Jesus, who is humble for us and saved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.